in showing us the answer to how a good God could let bad things happen, Pastor David is using the example of having children and the problems that can arise. Here's Pastor David with today's lesson, recorded live at Acts Church. It's good to have children. It's a morally sufficient reason to allow the evil in your child's life and even the evil that your child will do in order for the chance that they will get to experience joy and peace and love and beauty and all of the things that we find so important, life. So you might say, but if I had enough power, if I had enough power, I would not let them experience evil. I'm not God. I don't have enough power because if I did, I wouldn't let them experience an evil. But that's not true either. You do have a lot more power than you admit or than you use over your child's possible suffering. And you let them risk suffering in order to experience good. In order to experience the best parts of life, we must risk suffering. And we know that. And we allow it for our children. To experience the thrill of snowboarding down a mountain, we must risk the chance that we're going to land hard on our backside. Take my word for that one. Okay? Over and over again. All right? But if I want to experience the joy of snowboarding down a mountain, I got to take the risk of a sore bottom, all right? If you want to experience the joy, what some people would say is one of the greatest joys in life, of another human being choosing to love you, you have to risk that that person might choose to not like you. You have to risk the suffering, risk the pain of that person choosing not to like you in order to have the joy of them choosing to love you. And we think that going after love in that situation is a morally sufficient reason to allow ourselves to take the risk of suffering. We don't put our children in bubbles, right? That's not living life. What do you think about parents who do that to their children? Like, no, little one, don't, you can't do anything, and they're like 35, and this is happening, right? (laughs) You feel bad for that child. Like, let the kid live. We've all seen Finding Nemo, right? We understand this. You've got to let your child risk suffering in order to gain the reward of joy and beauty and peace and love, kindness and all the things that are good in life. What do you know will happen when you let your kids live their life? Pain. You know it. It's happening. They're going to be in pain. They're going to cause pain. They're going to experience evil. So you tell them about it. You give them the best you've got. You let them know what the rules of the universe are, what things are going to cause pain for them, how to take better risks, right? How to do what's morally right to avoid hurting others, all of that stuff. But you know that they're not going to do everything you tell them to do, right? If you don't believe this, That when you tell your child to do stuff, if your child is maybe still a baby and you're thinking to yourself, you're going to give your child all the right things and they're going to do them, you're wrong. (laughs) They're not. And you knew that. And you knew that before you had your child. You don't want this child to be your puppet. You don't want this child to be your robot. Because then they're not real. They're not a real child. Right? They're just a robot. You want them to make the right choices because they're the right choices and experience all the great things. And so a good parent teaches well, sacrifices for their children, and loves well. Now, who does that sound like? 
Sounds like God. Sounds like Jesus. But God is better than us, right? Very true. So shouldn't God be able to create a world where we can choose, make choices, and still keep us from doing evil? Well, that brings us to the second part of our argument here, okay? Here's, here's how this part goes. It is logically impossible to create people who can choose and be able to guarantee they will always choose good. God cannot do that, which is logically impossible. Okay, we've already shown that we will do things knowing that evil will happen and we'll think that they're good. So, we're, so in my opinion, God's off the hook anyway, right? But here I can, here's the argument is that it's actually impossible, logically impossible that God could create a person that had the ability, that had a will, that had the ability to choose and guarantee they would choose the right thing every time. Earlier, though, we said that God was all-powerful. So am I, am I walking that back? Am I saying God's not all-powerful? Because if God's all-powerful, why can't God do the logically impossible? To say that God is all-powerful is to say that God has omnipotence, right? Omnipotence. He's completely powerful. Completely powerful. That is to say God can do all things. God can do all things. But here's the deal. The logically impossible, which is also known as the intrinsically impossible, are not things. There's no such thing as a square circle. No such thing. It's not a thing. God can't do it because it's not a thing. God can't make a rock so big that he can't lift it or microwave a burrito so hot that he can't eat it. Those aren't things, okay? Those are intrinsically impossible. They're nonsense. Here's what C.S. Lewis said on this topic. He says, his omnipotence means power to do all that is intrinsically possible, not to do the intrinsically impossible. You may attribute miracles to him, but not nonsense. This is no limit to his power. If you choose to say God can give a creature free will and at the same time withhold free will from it, you have not succeeded in saying anything about God. Meaningless combinations of words do not suddenly acquire meaning simply because we prefix to them the two other words God can. It remains true that all things are possible with God. The intrinsic impossibilities are not things, but non-entities. It is no more possible for God than for the weakest of his creatures to carry out both of two mutually exclusive alternatives. Not because his power meets an obstacle, but because nonsense remains nonsense even when we talk it about God. That is to say this. The reason that this argument is correct is because in order to create people who had choices, people who could choose, God had to, had to, necessarily had to allow for the fact that they would sometimes make the wrong choices and do evil. It wasn't God doing evil. It was the people that he created. But he had to recognize the necessity that choice implies sometimes choosing wrong. All right? So... The answer to the logical problem of evil would go something like this. I'm just going to walk through this, okay? This is the argument for a morally sufficient reason for God to allow evil and suffering to exist. All right, here we go. There is no logical inconsistency with an all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing God allowing evil and suffering to exist if God has a morally sufficient reason for allowing evil and suffering to exist. We understand that from the logical problem of evil. It is impossible for God to create people with the ability to choose and to guarantee that they would always choose good. We know that. 
because logical impossibilities aren't things, so they don't, it has nothing to do with his power. Creating people who could choose is a great enough good to establish a morally sufficient reason to allow evil and suffering to exist. Therefore, there is no logical inconsistency with God existing and evil and suffering existing. The fact is, is that the logical problem of evil because of something very like this answer that we've talked about today has basically disappeared from, from philosophy, from those in colleges and professors and so on, those who write about philosophy. The logical problem of evil has basically disappeared as an argument against the existence of God. It's, it's really no longer used. Uh, the most prominent philosopher who outlines this argument that we've been talking about today against the logical problem of evil is a Christian philosopher named Alvin Plantiga, one of, if not the greatest philosopher of the 20th century. He's still alive. Um, Professor Plantiga does not simply make this defense of the logical problem of evil and leave it at that. You know, kind of so there. So stop, stop bothering God about this. He doesn't do that. He also makes this point in his writings. He says this. As the Christian sees things, God does not stand idly by, coolly observing the suffering of his creatures. He enters into and shares our suffering. He endures the anguish of seeing his son consigned to the bitterly cruel and shameful death of the cross. Christ was prepared to endure the agonies in order to overcome sin and death and the evils that afflict our world and to confer on us a life more glorious than we can imagine. He was prepared to suffer on our behalf to accept suffering of which we can form no conception. In other words, God doesn't just say, I'm off the hook. I created you guys with choice and you did your thing. That's not what he does. And oh well, I guess there's evil and suffering. The, the Christian worldview says that God entered into that himself. Took on suffering at a level that you cannot conceive of. Do a little research on what Christ went through at the crucifixion. And you'll get just a taste of the level of suffering. Not including the life up to that point. That was constantly in suffering. He was a man of sorrows. So that he could redeem us from suffering. As for the logical problem of evil itself as an objection to reasonable belief in the existence of God, here's what some philosophers have said. Okay, Here's, here's one. Logical arguments from evil are a dying, dead breed. Even an omnipotent and omniscient being, that's all-powerful and all-knowing, might be forced to allow evil for the sake of obtaining some important good. Our knowledge of goods and evils and the logical relations they bear to each other is much too limited to prove that this could not be the case. Here's another one. It used to be held that evil was incompatible with the existence of God, that no possible world contained both God and evil. So far as I am able to tell, this thesis is no longer defended. Last one. It is now acknowledged on almost all sides that the logical argument from evil is bankrupt. So... As far as the logical problem of evil, this explanation that God can exist consistent, consistently with evil if he has a morally sufficient reason to allow evil, and we've shown that it is impossible for him to have created people, which we say that God did, without allowing for evil to exist, and that that's a morally sufficient reason to allow evil because of all the good, and we've proven that we believe it because we have kids. We've proven that we believe it. All right, 
Um, next, I want to look at the probabilistic problem of evil, and I'm going to try to rock through this stuff pretty quick. Dr. William Lane Craig from reasonablefaith.org, great website if you want to w- work into some of these issues um, at a high level. He describes this objection um, this way. He says this, according to this version, the problem of the coexistence of God and evil is logically possible, but nevertheless, it's highly improbable. To answer this objection, um, we have to uh, know two things, okay? We have to understand two things. One, is it true that the existence of God is improbable based on the existence of evil? Is it true that because evil exists, that although it's possible that God could exist, it's improbable? That's the first thing we have to look into. The second is, what other evidence is there for the existence of God that would cumulatively make God's existence more probable so that even if evil made it less probable, there's enough to overcome that improbability? Okay, that's a more complicated one. The answer to the first question, based on the answer we've just outlined in response to these objections raised in the logical problem of evil, the thing that we just went through, um, I, I find nothing compelling in the probabilistic problem of evil to make God's existence any less probable based on the existence of evil, based on what we've talked about. Okay, we know that it would have had to happen in order for him to create people. We ourselves understand that people, life, the possibility, the potential for joy, and so on and so forth, is worth some suffering. God simply recognizes that also. I don't find that to make evil, the existence of evil, creating an issue with the probability of God's existence. Okay? The power of the probabilistic problem of evil, the explanatory power of it, is greatly reduced by the coherency of the answer that we've just outlined to the logical problem of evil. Okay? A good God would, in fact, allow evil because it's a logical necessity of creating people with the ability to choose. So questions about the likelihood that there is a God in existence who, in fact, did create humans, that that's, the, that that's who God is, that's got to rest on evidence of different kinds than just dealing with the existence of evil. Okay? There's all kinds of different places where we find evidence for God's existence to make it probable beyond this issue of evil, this objection. Okay? Um, in fact, since the existence of evil must be admitted, that it actually exists in the probabilistic problem of evil, the skeptic once again must wrestle with the problem of good. Right? Just like C.S. Lewis was talking about. It's to say, um, we've come to identify evil because we recognize how things ought to be. And if we recognize how things ought to be, we recognize that there's a standard of good. And if we recognize that there's a standard of good, the only thing that could have created that is God. Because without God, if, if this is all there is, universe is all there is, there's no such thing as good. There's just what is. You could never get an ought from an is, as the philosopher David Hume pointed out long, long ago. Okay? So once we admit there's such thing as objective good or objective evil, which is the absence of good, right? Then we must ex- admit the existence of God. Okay. In any case, the full answer to the probabilistic problem of evil would rest upon the, the answers that we gave in last week's message, okay, about the probability of God's existence based on objective moral values, right, and duties. Um, but there's several other evidences for God's existence that we'll outline later in the series that also would answer this probabilistic problem. It's a cumulative effect of this evidence that leads to justifiable belief in the probability of the existence of God. All right. We're almost done. What about the emotional problem of evil? Uh, This is actually one I have a heart for. It's actually one I feel for because it's not an objection based in reason. It's not saying anything about logical inconsistencies. That's all out, okay? It's based in preference. 
but a fair preference, okay? That's to say people don't appreciate the fact that God allows evil, and they reject belief in God. They reject God because of their distaste for evil and suffering. They think it's so horrible that there's evil that they reject God on that basis. It's more of a, of a psychological um, objection than a logical one, but it's a very understandable one, okay? Because I have this distaste too. I am heartbroken by the evil and suffering I see in the world. You know, as an attorney, as a pastor, I've seen a lot of things. I've seen people do a lot of things that are unthinkable to other people. I've seen people do a lot of things that are unthinkable to children, and it breaks my heart. The people, those who wrote the Psalms in, in Scripture, in the Bible, they cried out to God, right, asking, how long? How long is this suffering going to go on? How long are evil people going to flourish? How long are these things going to happen? They had this issue. They had this same issue. No one likes suffering. By definition, suffering is suffering. If you liked it, it wouldn't be suffering. No one likes it. No one likes it. But the answer to the emotional uh, content that we have when we see suffering, when we see evil, is not to reject the only one who provides an answer to this. The only one who provides a way out of it. That's not the way to deal with the fact that suffering exists, as the psalmist will always say at the end. But God, I trust you. I know you're going to work it out. I know it's in your hands and that you will fix it. You'll make all things new. You'll, you'll make it all work out. I trust you. Even though I see the suffering and my emotions say, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm hurt. It's distasteful. It's ugly. I don't like it. That's the emotional problem of evil, okay? But we can't reject God because he's the only one who has the remedy to our suffering. He's the only one who suffered himself to redeem you from the deserved suffering that you had brought upon yourself. If you reject God because he allows suffering, which was necessary so that you could exist, we've already shown it was necessary for you to live, for you to have life, for you to have joy, for you to have uh, the relationships you have, the marriages you have, the kids you have, the things you've done, the mountains you've climbed, all this kind of stuff. In order for that to ever happen, he had to allow the evil and suffering that exists in the world. And so if you want to call him to account for that, just be ready for your kids to call you account to account for having them because you knew it, you knew they would suffer, and you don't have the power to make it all new in the end. You didn't have that power. You didn't even know whether, for those of you who are believers, you don't even know when you have your children whether they'll follow Christ or whether they'll reject him and really experience some suffering. And so if you were still, if you still feel like it was good for you to have kids, then be careful about rejecting God for creating you. And yet, I think your children should thank you for bringing them into this world. And I think you should thank God for creating you even in the midst of suffering and pain. God promises you joy for eternity. Unimaginable joy if you'll follow Jesus Christ. Every child that suffers, that breaks our heart, every person who deals with chronic pain, that breaks our heart, all the heartache of the whole world, of this temporary life and time that we live in, compared to the joy that we will have for eternity, not even counting the joy that we have in the midst of all that suffering and our own relationships and all the things, all the good things that we all have. Not even counting that, the joy of eternity, 
It's no different than the shot that cures my disease. It may be intensely painful. I don't like large needles getting jabbed into me. But the rest of my life to live for that small thing is a very small thing. And maybe God knows a little something more about eternity than you do. And maybe what seems to us like unimaginable sorrow, in the end, when you can look back, you'll see, oh, I can see now. I can see that there was a reason for it. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Suffering is unspeakably horrible. As I told you already, it breaks my heart. I don't, desire, I don't desire suffering for you. I don't desire suffering for me. I'm telling you these things because of the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. That there will be a day when he will make all things new and there will be no more suffering, no more crying, and no more pain. It is that hope that drives Christ's church to answer these questions like we're doing today. It's my hope in the restoration of all things that Jesus Christ will bring about that helps me bear the suffering that I have to bear. And it is in Jesus Christ and in him only that you will find the strength to bear the suffering that you must bear. The problem of evil, after all, is a problem caused by us, people. Not just people, me and you. We're the ones who do bad things. Yes, there are people who have done things that hurt more people or at a greater level or whatever, but you want to start measuring that kind of stuff, you might find that there's a big pile of stuff in your backyard that doesn't smell too good. It's us that that cause suffering. It's us that cause pain. And yet, Jesus Christ provides the answer to all of that. He provided the sacrifice that redeems us from the just consequences of those evil choices that we've made. He's the one who came in and suffered. He didn't have to. You chose to do what you did, and yet he came in for you. While you were still in rebellion to him, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, taking on the consequences that a just God, a good God, would have to have so that we could be with him. So the problem of suffering is more personal to God who gave his only son than it is to any of us. It is in his resurrection, that we can now have hope to see the end of suffering and to live in a place where there is no suffering, no evil, no pain, no crime. And I thank God for that. So do you have that hope of new life in Christ? You can. No matter what pain you might be going through or what pain you've caused, Jesus wants to set you free. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing right now, simply tell him that you believe he is the Son of God, that he died and rose again to give you new life, and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, and he will. And if you have any questions at all or just need help figuring all this out, call us at 360-885-9000 or come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. We'd love to help you find life. And there's more answers to tough questions on our next episode, so I hope you'll join us here on Contemplate.